a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. So here we have the the promise of the virgin birth already. And and now it says that he, this promised seed, shall bruise you, the serpent on the head. So this, and you will bruise him on the heel. So uh, this is talking about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. So this is the first gospel. What in the world? The Lord's Supper is to help rediscover your innate goodness? Holy smokes. That's like saying that glasses are to make sure you can't see. It's like saying your shoes are there to make sure you can't walk. It's like saying it's like saying a boat is there so that you sink to the bottom of the ocean. That's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. Councilman Darren Layton. Thank you, Mayor. On balance, I think as far as whether we do it on the 6th or the 12th, it matters about as much as my collection of Table Talk Radio points. Welcome to this edition of Table Talk Radio, everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show where 50% of the co-hosts are LCMS bureaucrats. <laughs> yes, and the other 50%? Uh, they're lowly oh. seminarians. Um, <laughs> oh man, I might have taken a step down now. You know, we talk about this hierarchy of <laughs> yeah. things, and I think I've just plunged, plunged <laughs> down below seminarian, down below even vicar. <laughs> okay, Synodical tell everybody what, what we're talking about. Uh, the um, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod met in the 64th regular convention this last week, and um, my name, oddly enough, stood for this new advisory board, board for national missions. Uh, and I was elected to be the pastoral representative for the Western region. I don't have any idea what that means. <laughs> uh, we'll see. So you're going to have to start wearing a uh, purple clerical now? or <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to wear a clerical now. Oh, well, you, oh. you can get a polo shirt with the official LCMS logo <laughs> on the chest. I'm changing my buzzword for you now. <laughs> I'm changing it. You're gonna okay. love it now. Okay. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> well, in today's program, we are going to be uh, sp- t- taking some time to respond to some emails that we've been, uh, I guess, putting off for a while. But we're gonna hit those now, and then we're gonna do uh, name that theologian, which is hey, which is you know, the, the, my main concern though now, being a synodical bureaucrat, is numbers. So I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you could see this coming because I've been so concerned about how many members we have in our Facebook. I this is the reason of your election. <laughs> we're up to we're up to four hundred and six now. I got to check on uh, what's the guy, uh, Kirk Cameron. I'd see how we're doing. We're up to four hundred and six fans. I can't believe it. Hold on, I'll check Kirk Cameron. One minute here. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's the lineup. Then we do some buzzwords, and then uh, uh, this is the first. I think the first ever uh, theological, theological game show hosted by an LCMS bureaucrat. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Oh man! <laughs> All right, are you are you done comparing yourself to to has been celebrities? No, no, I haven't found it yet. Oh, I was okay. I'm I'm right in the middle of trying to post a, a picture of um of uh, Charles Finney to our pa- our fan page here because you... Uh, you you took out that little line about Finney being the ugly theologian and I thought that was mean. I mean I I you know I have to listen to that every time the show starts and and I thought <laughs> I started thinking to myself you know that was kind of mean a mean thing to say about Charles Finney until the other day I saw a picture of the guy again and I thought no it's right so 
I'm 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 putting a photo up here of Charles Finney, and then I'll find out how many members Kirk Cameron has. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll give you my buzzword while you're while you're. Oh yeah, that's on. right. Um, you never actually like give the show your full attention. You're always doing something. I have my orthodoxy tied behind my back. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just to well, make it fair. The theological buzzword I have I, for you. You know what I can't figure out how to spell is the word bureaucrat. I don't know how many times I have to spell check the word bureaucrat. <laughs> You'll get it soon enough. Don't worry. <laughs> but that's what you put on your emails. You put Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, comma bureaucrat. Uh, synodical bureaucrat. I'm trying to figure out how to translate synodical bureaucrat into Latin because I think you would reverse the word order, so it'd be like bureaucratus synodicalus, and then I could just go by the initials. I like it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, okay, so uh, let's see. Oh, my buzzword. buzzword. My buzzword for you is uh, I don't know if it's a theological buzzword or more of a historical buzzword, but it's uh, nonetheless Council of Trent. Oh, nice. So that's the buzzword I have for you. Uh, the Council of Trent met uh, just following the Reformation. What were the... Uh, let's see. Um, I think I had it up here. It started right uh, right before Luther died, right? So it would have been 1546 or 1545? Yeah, 1545 to 1563. But they met following the Reformation because, you know, all these these uh, reformers caused a big problem in the church. So now they've got to get together and, and, and condemn all these... Uh, these reformers. So they this really defines some some uh, doctrines in the in the Catholic Church. So that's the Council of Trent. Yeah, it's um, and it, when you read the Council of Trent, I mean the things that they anathematize, it's really, um, it's pretty bad stuff. I mean, when it says if anyone says that we're ju- that we're uh, justified or declared righteous by God's grace alone, let them be anathema. Or if anyone says that uh, we are freely forgiven apart from our works, let them be accursed. I mean. When you read stuff like that, boy, it's terrible. And the Council of Trent, you know, still stands. I mean, Vatican II is kind of your... It's a Vatican II is like... I mean, a bunch of the Catholics are kind of 90s men, you know? They're just they're wearing sweater vests and just trying to be nice guys. But <laughs> Trent, they were really hammering hard on this stuff. And do you like this? You, anytime I mention sweater vests, it gets a good laugh. I'm working it? on, I'm working on uh, this... Uh, table Talk Radio bingo card, and I think I need to put sweater vest on there for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd put synodical bureaucrat on there for you. That, by the way, is your buzzword: okay. synodical bureaucrat. Okay, would you define <laughs> it for me, please? I can't define it. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Uh, syno- oh man, I better not. <laughs> Let's just leave it to our read, our readers, our listeners' imagination. Uh, to, okay. to define a synodical bureaucrat. <laughs> if you want to post on our fan page what your definition of a synodical bureaucrat is, I will take no offense. <laughs> <laughs> I will, though. <laughs> okay, let's let's do some emails. This first oh, email boy. is from Kelly, and uh, she writes <clears throat> in talking about the praise song crunch. She says, hey, I'm just now listening for the very first time to Table Talk Radio. I'm enjoying the praise song cruncher. Huh. She's enjoying our show. I was curious. Hundred points for that, Kelly. <laughs> I was listening. Or excuse me. I was curious on listening to the Matt Redman song whether you have um, wh- whether you have ever had some analysis on your Cruncher segments on what the songwriter might be trying to do with a biblical text. I asked because I am sure that defenders of this song would say, "Of course, it's a Christian and biblical song. It's full of phrases and ideas from Revelation two, the letter of the church at Ephesus." Jesus does tell this church that they've lost their first love, that they need to repent and do the things they did at first. Remember the height from which they'd fallen, etc. 
I'm not defending this song by any means, but I just think it would be helpful to point out that the songwriter, what, what the songwriter is trying to do and how their approach to a given text of Scripture is off. That might help some who are inclined to accept any song that seems to have a biblical basis to it. Uh, love the Bible, be too. How do I get on that? How I do, how do I get in on that action? Do you give away T-shirts? <laughs> well, actually, I, I want to address the the latter part first. You can actually get in on Bible B action by calling our our voicemail system, which is eight six six eight five one five five two three. And there's an option there to uh, to be a contestant of the show. And so just leave your name and number and what show what what game you like to play. And then uh, we, you can actually be on the show as our guest to to play the, these games. And uh, you can win a T-shirt by doing that. So you can win a T-shirt. Yeah, well, you would have done it long ago if you know that. I know. Huh? I get a free T-shirt <laughs> walking around here without a shirt on all the time. <laughs> if I would have known. No, no, no. Remember, you have the purple clerical. Oh yeah, that's right. Not bad. What about this official sonautical T-shirt? Oh yeah, the golf shirt with the LCMS logo. <laughs> I wonder if I'm gonna get one of those in the mail. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm hoping, by the way, that this means I get free books from CPH. Do you think that? Do you think what are the perks of this? I, I mean, there's all sorts of perks by being a radio host, you know. Yeah, like oh, what? you know, by the way, uh, people are calling this uh, recent, most recent convention the uh, issues etc. Revolution, but I, I'm not. I mean, I think we need to look into this. It could be the Table Talk Radio Revolution. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean you weren't you weren't not elected, were you? I mean you didn't uh, get defeated in any ballots. Did I did you? not get defeated in this election. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, perfect record. <laughs> okay, so uh, well, oh, but we're and, respond responding to this email, which which says, hey, the, the, there's scripture in these some of these praise songs. They mention scripture, they pull phrases, words from scripture, etc., etc. Uh, so it's biblical, right? There is here. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read from our official synodical position. <laughs> <laughs> this actually is uh, because this is from oh, the, the no, formula. This from is from the f- formula of Concord. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that was a. I thought you. Were that, that was su- such a. You read from the bylaws. I'm yeah, gonna yeah. read from the bylaws. Well, bylaw four point three point two point six says. <laughs> Next week we can play bylaw beat. We got to rewrite them real quick uh, with a new restructuring. But here, no, no, this is serious from the uh, formula of Concord. Article 5, the law and the gospel, and it starts like this. And I I think this is just a helpful um, thing to keep in our minds. This distinction between the law and the gospel is a particularly brilliant light. It serves the purpose of rightly dividing God's word and properly explaining and understanding the scriptures of the holy prophets and apostles. We must guard this distinction with special care so that these two doctrines may not be mixed with each other or a law be made out of the gospel. When that happens, Christ's merit is hidden, and troubled consciences are robbed of comfort, which they otherwise have in the Holy Gospel when it's preached genuinely and purely. For by the Gospel they can support themselves in their most difficult trials against the law's terror. Now what this is saying is, if, if we don't have this distinction between law and Gospel, then the Scriptures remain closed, unclear, dark, etc. So, so it's not just enough to have the Bible, it must, it must be rightly divided. That's right. Well, let's continue this discussion right after this commercial break. We're going to continue reading through your emails, and then we're going to play Name That Theologian. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. Everyone's favorite critical event. 
Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Start wearing purple, wearing purple. Start wearing purple for me now. All your sanity and wits, they will all vanish. I promise. It's just a matter of time. So, yeah. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Well, with great... I don't know what that means. <laughs> with, with great respect to our delegates at our uh, convention, I think I think that they may have made a bad decision in electing Pastor Wolfman because all he's done since then is make fun of bureaucrats. <laughs> I, this is a self-deprecating... We live on this thing, so finally I get to make fun of them with impunity because now I can say, look, I am one. I is one of those guys. No. Right? Man. All no, right. Well, right. <laughs> uh, I, I want to come back to oh, Kelly's man. email real quick because, I mean, uh, you talked about the, the division between law and gospel, that it must be properly uh, distinguished in order to properly understand Scripture. But I think what she's getting at is using this language that we would interpret as being subjectivity in praise songs as being language from, for example, Revelation 2, that you've lost your first love and things like that. So how does your property between law and gospel speak to that? Uh, well, look, I mean, so the first point that we were making was a more general point, and that is um, scriptures uh, can be misused. So just because someone's quoting the scriptures uh, doesn't mean what they're saying is right. Um, you know what, you, you see what I'm saying. So, I mean, this is not, not just true for songs and hymns. It's true for sermons. It's true for writing. In fact, I mean, most of the stuff that we're looking at here when we have to criticize something is someone's misuse of the scripture. So, so the first point is this general point that this, just because the scriptures are there doesn't mean that it's uh, helpful or useful or right. The Council of Trent, for example, quotes the scripture all over the place, and yet um, it's, it totally abuses it and teaches false and dangerous doctrine. Mm, very good. Okay. Now, is that you're going to give me points? You're well, going to give me well, points. Well, first, for, I have to ask: is, is that as a synodical bureaucrat our official position? <laughs> I'm sure it is. Okay, and that is 500 <laughs> points for me using the buzzword. Using synodical bureaucrat. Right. <laughs> so let's see here. Got to keep track of points. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a website where you can log in and keep track of your points. That's pretty good. Okay, I will, 500 I will to give 500. You 100. No, good well, thing well, nobody well, listens to this show. How did you get show. 500? You said 500. You didn't of- notice. I said it, did you? Council of Trent? Yeah, oh, did you notice? Oh, you're giving me less than 500 points? You said, I, now, I didn't catch it, so you, you're at 500. I said the Council of Trent quotes the scripture. Now, the second question, though, is the specifics of this song. Now, And so ask that again, because Revelation chapter 2, how does this, I don't remember the lyrics and all this. Uh, where is this again? I mean, you're talking about this particular Matt Redmond song in Revelation chapter two, and from the from the email. Remember, we're answering an email. Yeah, question. yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know if you wanted the Matt Redmond song, if you wanted the, what the email. Well, well, yeah, the email again. Okay. Because because we answered the question in a general purpose. I mean, uh, can what if someone's using the scriptures and they're <clears throat> how can it be wrong? So right. we answered that question. Okay, but then so, this specific song, how does it use the scriptures? Well, I don't know about this song, but. Uh, 
this is this is the objection objection that she poses from someone who could be supporting her. She says, "Of course, yep. it's a Christian and biblical song. It's full of phrases and ideas from Revelation two, the letter to the church at Ephesus." Jesus tells his church that they've lost their first love, that they need to repent and do the things that they did at first. Remember the height from oh, which yeah. they've fallen, oh. etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so I mean, she, I think she's just speaking in generalities, but uh, just just to, you know, bringing yeah, that yeah, up. No, well, no, that and that's true. I mean, this little section of scripture uh, is often used by the mystics. I mean, uh, you know, those with Christians with mystical inclinations to criticize the people who were uh, all about doctrinal clarity. They said, "Look, the church in Ephesus had all this doctrine right, yeah. uh, but they but they didn't have their their love." Uh, it's, uh, it says, um, this is uh, Revelation 2, 3. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you abandon the love that you had at first. Uh, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work. Now, the thing that that is being missed here is that it's true that a church can can grow so fantastically over, overwhelmed with Getting, keeping the doctrine right and suffering persecution for the right preaching of the gospel, that it forgets that there's joy in our salvation. And we forget to pray, Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, that there is this, uh, 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 when, we, when we know the doctrine of justification, when we know that the Lord Jesus forgives us freely because of his death on the cross, when we know that his blood is given to us to, to cover all of our shame and sin, so that God looks upon us with with a smile instead of with a curse, and when we know that there is a there is a great and fantastic joy and love uh, that that comes from that. But it's not a it's not like the mystics want to do to drive a distinction between between the doctrine and the love. Uh, one flows from the other. All right, that's right. Okay, let's get to the next email. Uh, this That's one right. is. <laughs> I'm glad you can. <laughs> it was. It was like that was a game. Ding, ding, you ding, answered ding. right. <laughs> you have chosen. You give me points. Why is every, every time you say that's right, you ought to have to give me some points. Okay, two I'm points. I'm just gonna take it. I'm gonna take here two points. Okay. Right. Next email. Uh, hi, please check out my blog for Christian gay men who are trying to be chase. It's only beginning, but I hope you will approve a confessional Lutheran and a listener via podcast. Um, I wanted to respond to this, and and I uh, I looked at this this blog a little bit, so I'm not I'm not quite responding to the blog per se as much as I am the, this idea of of Christian men trying to be chaste, and I just wanted to speak to it in this sense. Um, I, I I think we as a church need to define what we mean by when when we say things like so and so is gay or so and so is homosexual, because. Um, what I think, in essence, what we're saying is, if if, if so and so says, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a gay person or I'm a homosexual," they're in essence ascribing to those uh, desires of which they have, and make really they're in essence making it their identity, aren't they? By saying, I, "You know, I'm gay or I'm I'm, I'm a homosexual." Now, right, right. What, what what I'm trying to to draw the distinction from is in someone who says, "I struggle with homosexuality" or "I I deal with with with." Uh, gay thoughts and things like that, um, and and that that's different. And, and, and the distinction is that that one is then identifying this as a struggle and and, and repenting. Um, for someone to say I'm gay and I'm chaste, um, I, I I mean I guess I, I 
showing that there is a struggle going on. But I, I think what we can be a little bit more precise with our with our language and our terminology to say then uh, not that, that this person is gay or homosexual because you're then, again, still making that thing your identity. Instead, we can look at our baptism that we're Christians who struggle with these sins and so that, that we live lives of repentance. And so someone – it would be possible for someone who – says I'm gay and, and by saying that that what they mean is um, that that there's nothing wrong with with you know homosexuality but then they never actually act on those on those uh, desires or impulses uh, impulses um, that, that that that's that person um, is is not repenting do you see what I mean pastor I mean so, so for so, so let's say you have you have two people one one person uh, says that he's gay, but he doesn't act on any of his any of his, any of his uh, desires. The second person says, um, uh, "I I act on these, and I'm sorry, and I repent." That the second person is the one who is justified because he's confessing his sin. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. No. No. It does make sense. I mean, we we our identity as Christians is is our baptism. Now, it's just fantastic that in our baptism, the Lord lets us keep our names. So you still are Evan, and I am still Brian. But we are, we are the children of God. We are the His baptized creatures. And anything else that any sort of ideology or temptation or sin that comes and wants to claim us as uh, and claim our identity, so that we say I am whatever. Uh, and and especially if that's a sin, then we're in trouble. I am gay, or I am what you could take whatever it is. I am greedy, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Then this steals away our identity, and then and you're right. It becomes very very close to being to having the danger of unrepentance. Right. Uh, well, and I think this is especially confusing for our our uh, young men and women who, you know, I mean, you you see junior high high school kids dealing with this that they are you know come out and say, you know, mom, dad, I'm gay. As if it's it's something that that uh, is just in them that they have to discover like, oh, I've discovered this about me that I am, you know, I'm gay. And 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 um well, I'm I'm not speaking to the fact that whether or not people are are born gay because even even I mean there's no scientific data to 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 support that, but but look, we're born sinners. I mean, that that that's just true. And so uh it, it's it's very possible that that people are are born with these uh desires towards the same sex uh, sexually uh, but but hey look we're we're all born sinners we're all inclined to to sin uh the question is do we repent for it uh and and that right. is the question so it's not that you're discovering some some secret like like oh i discovered i'm a, i'm a i'm a superhero <laughs> you know right no, that's exactly right. And and this concupiscence, that's this inclination to sin, that should be a buzzword. Has that been a buzzword? It has been. <clears throat> this this inclination to sin that we have called concupiscence is itself sin. So we repent of that from the very get-go. We, we're never apart from repentance. It doesn't matter if we're born that way or not. We we, we live lives of repentance. And each one of us faces, our, our, each one of us has a sinful flesh that's inclined to certain sins. We, gotta, we all are constantly fighting against that through repentance and faith. That's right. Well, after this, we are going to be doing some Name That Theologian uh, and, and then continuing on uh, the show after the break. Have you received your Table Talk radio text message alert? You can text message the keyword Table Talk to 69302. Right back on Table Talk Radio.
Table Talk Radio. It's like spinach. We know you don't want to, but it's good for you. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are playing Name That Theologian. And uh, Pastor Wolfley, I think you have the first the, the first one here. Yes, I sure do. Uh, the, now, the way this game works is we read uh, three different quotations from various theologians. And then uh, points are on the line here. Big points are on the line. If you can guess the theologian, you get the points. If you can't, then you don't. And you wallow in pointlessness. <laughs> <laughs> I like our show. Okay, ready? <laughs> ready. All right. Here it is. First quotation. We ought to love and magnify the linguistic description of the terms used in the chief loci of the heavenly doctrine. That is, by the way, the doctrine of justification. For the church, in its interpretation of these terms, has not produced new dogmas, but has scrutinized, learned, and accepted the things taught and revealed by the divine voice. Just as the concepts themselves have been revealed in Scripture by the divine voice and the word, so they cannot be properly understood except from the true and genuine meaning of the words which the Holy Spirit used in handing down the heavenly doctrine. Nor is this merely a grammatical war, as it's called, but in the principal loci of, the, of doctrine, the greater the error in terminology, so much the greater the loss in the concepts themselves. Hmm. Okay. I really like that quote right there. That's a good one. Uh, Put a star by it. So that it's it's the doctrine of justification that supplies the rest of, of our articles of faith. That we don't have uh, we don't have many doctrines. We have the one doctrine of, of Christ crucified for our sins, uh, but we have many articles of faith. Um, many articles of that of that doctrine. Um, so, so this person is saying that that we are to to, to love this because it's by it's the, it's this divine voice, the Word of God, that that gives us uh, all of this, uh, gives us all of our theology, uh, which gives us our salvation. Right. Okay. So that's the first quote. I don't have any idea. Number two. Here's the other thing too. I mean, I just to make this point is that the and I I love this point can't be overemphasized in my mind is that the the Reformation, if you will, this discovery of this doctrine of of justification is a is a linguistic grammatical thing. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. figuring out, hey, what do these words actually mean in the Bible? I mean, isn't that something? Isn't it's nothing fancy? I mean, remember when Luther tells a story about how he discovered the gospel? He's just sitting there reading the Bible and he's trying to figure out what the word means. The word righteousness. Oh, that's fantastic. All I, right. Yeah, and and further that that God reveals Himself in in words. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Was it last week that we were, we were crunching that praise yes, song that was yes. all about like, I can't express you in words and all this stuff? But yeah, God does. He, what? He, <laughs> I was going to make a bumper sticker out of that thing, but I thought it would be too mean of a thing for a synodical bureaucrat That's to do right. now. What does it say? Words can't express your greatness or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is the whole mystic idea is that we got to transcend words. And all the emergents are always talking about all this kookball nonsense. I mean, for goodness sakes, uh, we, if we can't express God's greatness in words, well, fine. But it just so happens that he does, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. All right. Here's point to quote, quote two here. The entire history of the church can be, 
in the hi entire history of the church, it can be observed how much damage the contempt for and ignorance of the correct terminology has done to the church in the case of this article. In all periods, the light of sound doctrine concerning justification has first been weakened, later increasingly obscured, and finally almost lost and extinguished, chiefly because there was a departure from the genuine meaning of the words in this locus, words which are particular and proper to Scripture. Hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. no idea who this is. Now, this should give you a hint on who it is, because you know it's talking about justification, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but you see, the, you see the emphasis in what he's talking about? No. Uh, well, he's talking about church history. He's talking about church history. <clears throat> I mean, talking about the history of these things in the church. So, so you you know, this is a well. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna help you with this. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll finish your sentence. Uh, I can pretty much say this is a Lutheran. Yeah, talking a Lutheran. so much about justification. Right, and he's particularly interested in church history. All right. Okay. Next, in order that we can establish what the word, quote, to justify properly means in the doctrine of the gospel, we shall show how this word was used in common ordinary speech. The papists cry that in the usage of no language does the word to justify mean to absolve or to impute as righteous, but rather to make righteous by the giving or infusing of new qualities. But this is not true. In the common Greek language, the word dikaio simply is, is simply a forensic or declarative word having two meanings. It means to evaluate or pronounce something to be righteous, not in the sense of one private opinion, but in the way that those who hold a public office make a pronouncement. And two, the term means to inflict punishment. Not in the way private individuals punish, but as when a person is punished by legal decision after a case has been judged. Yeah, this is good. So it's making this distinction between um, imputed righteousness and, and, uh, and declared righteousness. Um, imputed is, is declared, so it's making this between oh, imputed right, yeah. and, and infused. Infused, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, um, but we talk about this language of forensic justification, uh, and, and so that, uh, that it, it's, it's a legal statement, so that um, what, what the Roman Catholic Church, teach, I guess, taught and teaches is that, that justification is more of a process, and, and when you make justification a process, you're making it something that you cooperate with. Um, rather than, than than the thing that was objectively accomplished outside of us and and bestowed to us, imputed. So good. Um, was this person? Uh, I know. I know. Th this is uh, the the LCMS Constitution and Bylaw <laughs> six point. No. <laughs> oh. Yes, here I've got that in my pocket. Let me pull it out and check. Think about having the bylaws <laughs> tattooed on my back. <laughs> That's a tough bureaucrat right there, baby. Was this every, every three years, you'd have to get it amended. <laughs> um, was this person oh. ever a synodical president? Mm -mm -mm. Hmm. No. Bummer. Um, yeah. Should I? I should probably only quote from synodical president <laughs> from here on. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> um, I'm really not. I wonder if our show is going to have to be doctrinally reviewed now. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. We do have the fact checkers, which have been a little bit lazy lately because uh, we haven't had so many correction emails. That's right. I wonder what's going on. Okay, um, I'm I'm really not sure who this is, but I'm I'm just gonna throw out a guess of Herman Sasa. Herman Sasa is wrong. Uh, although maybe I should have done Sasa because I was just in Germany. But well, hey, Chemnitz was in Germany too, and that's who this is. Martin. 
Chemnitz. Ah, very good. He, hey, Chemnitz, by the way, you know you mentioned this Council of Trent, most, one of the most beautiful things in the entire... In, in one of the in, entire uh, writings of the uh, of the Lutheran tradition is the Martin Chemnitz's examination of the Council of Trent, this three-volume deal, uh, and it is simply marvelous. I mean, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. In fact, I just happened to, uh, to eat, uh, you know, outside the bookstore at the seminary, they they have this bargain table where like a corner is a little bench or something like that, so it knocks down the price. I just yeah. picked up uh, volume two of Chemnitz's Council of Trent. Yeah, now look, I repent because there's actually four volumes uh, uh-huh. that I'm looking on my shelf. Now. This is fan- this is some great stuff. And I the, mean, and, and this book just sitting here was my inspiration for the theological buzzword. And how ironic nice. then that you were to pick him for the theologian. How ironic! All right, I have a theologian for you. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, the first one is this, talking about uh, uh, church fellowship. It's perfectly true, moreover, that there are believers, dear children of God, in in heterodox churches, if only the gospel is still somehow, quote-unquote, getting through, to create and sustain faith. It is also true that there are hypocrites in the Orthodox Church. Given these realities, it is not counterintuitive, indeed pharisaical, to draw church fellowship boundaries so strictly as though one ecclesiastical communion, and a small one at that, had a monopoly on all true Christians. This, and since there will be Christians from all sorts of churches in heaven, uh, had we not better get used to them here on earth? Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, and this, is a, this guy, whoever this is, is worked up about what they're talking about, or at least in your reading of it. Um, <laughs> but they're... They're talking about uh, this kind it of ecumenical spirit. It is perfectly spirits. true, moreover, <laughs> that there are believers, children of God. And <laughs> that's <murder>. more like it. <laughs> that's how a Lutheran would read it. Right, that's right. Um, uh, and this ecumenical line, I, by the way, disagree with the statement that there will be more, more than just Lutherans in heaven. Uh, and I'll explain that, uh, and this is why. is because you know, if you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, then you die and go to heaven, and if no matter what church you are a member of, once you get to heaven, you become a Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, because then you you get your doctrine all straightened out, right? right that's right. <laughs> all right, I better take another quotation. I don't have any idea who this is. Am I? Is this a famous person, like Rick Warren or something? <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll just give you the the nudge here. It is not Rick Warren. All right, all right I, I know you. you're surprised at that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have another. Well, this next one is a little bit longer, and so since we're coming up in the break, uh, I'll push it to the last segment of Table Talk Radio. It's hard to believe we're already coming up on our, is this our last segment. Yeah, one more. I want to uh, make a motion to amend the orders oh, of the no. day. <laughs> Extend the last segment. Oh, no. no, there's no second. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, well, now I have a little bit more time to tell you about this uh, text message uh, uh, thing you can do here. If you pull out your phone and text messages to the number 69302 and then text messages the keyword table talk, it'll subscribe you to our list to get free alerts. And we're going to be uh, doing some listener participation games in just a little bit um, uh, with, through that text message thing and, and even a chance to win prizes as well. Uh, so. Now, Pastor, you can't play since you're since you're doing that. So. Yeah, I know you were the first one to subscribe to our text message thing. But I was. How many people do we have subscribed now? I don't know, like fourteen or something like that. So. Really? <laughs> we'll Each continue. Subscribe three times. We'll be right back. There's a mustache on my face. 
Bible Talk Radio. You're laughing too, right? Did you write the book of love and do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells you so. Hey, a Christian song. That's a praise song right there, right? <laughs> Can music save your mortal soul? <laughs> can you teach me how to dance real slow? Welcome By the back. way, uh, Charles Finney's face is posted on our Facebook pa- fan page. Man, the- Evan will never see it. That's right. Uh, in fact, I just got a report that Facebook servers have been brought down over uh, due to so many users logging on at once. Oh, now I'm supposed to be checking... Um, I am supposed to be checking on, uh, what's the guy's name? Kirk Cameron. (laughs) Welcome to Table Talk Radio, Pastor Wolf. Oh, (laughs) 72,000 fans. What? Are we on our way? (laughs) 72,000. I know what we need to do. 60 people like this. And look, oh, how many of my friends are common friends? Oh, I see. I have this figured out. I know what we need to do. We need to have Kirk Cameron on our show. Sweet. I'll call him up. Now, uh, yes, Kirk Cameron, this is Brian Wolfmuller, Shenautical Bureaucrat. <laughs> I'll send him a letter on official Missouri Center letter, <laughs> letterhead. Missouri Center. Oh, oh no. <laughs> okay. We're playing Name That Theologian. And, uh, and I'm being confounded by this ecumenicist ah. who doesn't want to blur the line, who wants to blur the line between denominations. Let's have a little bit more of this nonsense. How about that? Okay. I'm ready. The same Holy Scriptures, which is able to make sinners wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, is also profitable for those things of which the man of God, the preacher of the gospel, needs to be outfitted for every good work of his office. Steeped in spirit-taught words from the mind of Christ, he becomes apt to teach others as resourceful household, uh, uh, as a resourceful householder, ever drawing out of his treasury things new and old. This needs to be stressed today in the face of what often passes for theological education, but actually unfits a man for the ministry in general and for practicing in particular, either by robbing him outright of any and every firm word of God, or by sidelining serious preoccupation with revealed truth as impractical. The historical critical or pragmatic stones substituted for the bread of life cannot, of course, nourish or sustain their victims— let alone build the church or advance her mission. Where real theology is destroyed or despised, heaps of practical courses are then piled up, designed to equip the future minister with the psychological and sociological skills necessary to manipulate people in the mass market of religion. No longer a man of God shaped by wrestling with God in the hallowed texts and the sacrament by prayer, study, and trial, oratio, meditatio, tentatio. The minister is then but a hollow functionary Applying his trade for profit and success. Whoa. I might have misheard the first quotation. I mean, I was checking our Facebook page, so I don't <laughs> doubt it. Because now this, this, is, this is a very interesting... This, is this from the same theologian? Yes, it is. All right, so there's a lot of scripture piled up on there, which, I mean, uh, is not how people write much anymore. I mean, all these kind of phrases from the scripture piled on top of each other, talking about the office of pastor and pastoral training and everything like this, almost has the sense of, like, quoting someone from the 19th century and then bringing out this, or mentioning oratio, meditatio, tentatio, that's Luther's uh, three-word three summary of Psalm 119 and what makes a theologian... Uh, 
prayer, meditation, and suffering, um, uh, and this kind of fight against the against the practical uh, emphasis on seminaries towards a more dogmatic, uh, well, not necessarily dogmatic, but just a wrestling ra- with the scripture business, um, it strikes me as uh, good. I mean, not in this kind of anti-dogmatic sense, but just in the in the real way that theological training needs to happen. Now, why is someone talking about theological training like this? This person has to be a Lutheran. Um all right, I gotta have one more. This is a confounding to me. So I, I think I should I should be a little fair to this this theologian, whoever he or she may be. Um, is that I mean, <clears throat> the the first quote's a little out of context, but I mean, this particular author may have spent more time talking about the oneness of the church prior to the quote I gave you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. All right, we have one more. All right. <laughs> I think you'll like this one. Quite exotic is the dispensationalist scheme proposed by what is sometimes regarded as the most influential religious book in the United States, the Schofield, Re- the Schofield Reference Bible. Biblical terms are gerrymandered there on a grand scale in the interests of an imaginary kingdom, political, spiritual, Israelitish, universal, over which God's son, David's heir, shall be king, of which shall be for 1,000 years the manifestation of the righteousness of God in human affairs. The church is demoted thereby to a sort of interim consolation prize until the interrupted fulfillment of Luke one thirty two can be taken up again in the political, spiritual, Israelitish world domination to be exercised by Christ from Jerusalem for a 1,000 years. Such surrogate sacraments are the fate of a moralistic pietism too lofty and spiritual to acknowledge the real sacraments. (laughs) What all this adds up to is that the proper distinction between the two kingdoms or governments is part and partial of the right distinction between law and gospel. The former distinction is necessarily entailed by or is nested in the latter. Therein lies its enormous significance. The reason why the Lutheran Reformation knows no Christian state is which of all other confessions, uh, all other confessions dream, wrote Sasa, is this, that a Christian state would be a church. Spiritual and temporal power, law and gospel, would then be radically confused. The gospel would then become a new law that it has become wherever the people want to Christianize, churchify, or convert the state as such and the world. And, <laughs> and that would be the end of the gospel as Luther understood it. I I think I'm onto this now. I you this theologian quoted Sasa. They have the kind of 19th century Bible on top of Bible. They're talking about the church. They're uh, have quite a way with words and bringing and 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 I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the first quotation again because now this person uh, who I'm gonna guess I think is a person that I trust and that I love and that I dearly miss uh, the sainted Doctor Marquardt in his in his book on the church. You got it. Congratulations, <laughs> boy! I got I I totally misread that or uh, misunderstood uh, that first quotation then because I I was onto some something really wrong. Well, okay, in the first in the first one, uh, he's he's not a uh, you know trying to to erase the the distinctions of theological lines or anything like that, but he's merely drawing the distinction between a uh, a heterodox church and a um, and, and, and the heresy. And so he's saying that there, there is but one church. There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. So, so all who have faith in Christ are of the one church. 
Um, and so, so, but, but that is not then to, to say that, uh, to, to say that, that theological differences are not important. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, good. Hey, I got it right. Are you going to give me some points? I got 502. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm being told that, uh, points to a bureaucrat only feeds the old Adam. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll give you, I'll give you 200 points. Okay. 702. We, ha- we have a couple minutes left. Oh yeah. You want one more guy? Uh, if you can do it in, in about a minute. Okay, I'll just read until you figure out who this is. There's another place where God is hidden in everyday life. The ordinary routine of making a living, going shopping, being a good citizen, and spending time with one's family are spheres in which God's at work through human means. Luther described the various occupations, parenthood, farming, laborers, soldiers, judges, retailers, and the like, as all being, quote, masks of God. Luther's doctrine of vocation may be one of his most original contributions to understanding the spiritual life. He is critical of mystical ascents to the divine... uh, insisting instead that God descends to the sinner in the means of grace, Luther goes on to lay the groundwork for what might be called a mysticism of ordinary life. If he denies that salvation is a result of our good works, insisting that forgiveness is a free gift, Luther's doctrine of vocation gives good works a very different spiritual significance. Have you got it yet? Uh, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Oh, oh yeah. I'm, as 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 I'm thinking of. Uh, books that I know of that reflect upon Luther's vocation, and there's two that come to mind. Uh, Gene Edward Veith writes a book, uh, God at Work, and then also uh, Wingren has a book on Luther on vocation, which is very excellent. Um, uh, yes. I wonder yes, if I'm yes. close on either one of these. Yeah, you are close on one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, You know, I've never read the Veith book, but I have read the Wingren book, and uh, it's it's very good. Uh, I'm going to guess Wingren. Oh, that's wrong! <sighs> what is it? Veith it was. <sighs> Spiritual Out of the Cross. you got to read. Oh, this is a Oh, it's Spiritual Out of the Cross. Oh, okay. I have read that Spiritual one. Spiritual Out of the Cross. Um, but he has, yeah. he has another one based on Luther's vocation. Yeah, just vocation. on vocation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is a chapter on vocation in the Spiritual Out of the Cross. Oh, very good. Um, no, that, that's, that's wonderful, though, that, that, uh, that God places us in particular vocations to serve our neighbor. So when, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, God does, but He does so not out of this some divine hand out of the out of the heavens, but He does it through farmers, through cooks, through parents, through these different vocations which God has placed us. So now, uh, a, a so-called good work is just living out our lives in these vocations in faith in faith in Christ, and then that's what a good work is. Uh-huh. That's exactly right. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition oh, of man. Table Talk Radio. But we uh, do like to respond to your. Uh, comments and questions, you can send it to us by sending us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org, or call our voicemail system. The toll-free number for that is 866-851-5523. And as always, thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like being elected as a synodical bureaucrat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even more valuable. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to question at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening. 
and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.